reflection in this world of who God is. You've probably heard the saying that we're the only Bible that some people will ever read. That's the truth. They may not ever pick up a Bible like this, but they're going to be looking at us and watching us and seeing how do we act? What do we say? When the storms of life come, what do we do? And every one of us can have an influence on the people that are around us. Everyone is called to influence. Maybe it's at your job. That is a huge mission field. Did you look at it like that? Your job. Sometimes we're like, God, get me out of this job. No one knows Jesus here. Well, hello. Guess what? That's your mission field. Don't try to get out of there. Let your light shine. Influence. God's called each one of us to influence others. You know what people need to see when they're watching you? They need to see truth in your life. Pastor gave us that word from the Lord about truth. Truth sets people free. You know what? Sometimes truth is that we live in front of them with our problems. We live in front of them with our mistakes. But yet we can tell them there's someone greater than our mistakes. The other thing people need to see is consistency in our lives. That day after day after day, hard times, good times, we are the same. We love Jesus. Yes, sometimes things happen that we're not happy about, but we love Jesus and we're going to keep serving him. That's what people need to see from our lives. That's the influence that they need upon their lives. God wants us not to be spectators in life, not to just sit back and watch and say, oh yeah, somebody else can do that. No, he's calling you and he's calling me to step out and help the people around us influence others. You know, I tell the people in our partnership class that as many churches as there are in Lubbock, and you know, they say this is one of the most church places in all. In fact, when we were going to start the church here, there was a lady, wonderful person in the church in Clovis, who came up and said, why would you start a church in Lubbock, Texas? Don't you know they already have more churches per capita than anywhere else? Pretty much like, that was a stupid idea. How many of y'all are glad we started a church in Lubbock, Texas? But see, people, we have got to get out there and be the light no matter what. Even if all the people that belong to the churches in Lubbock were in service today, that's probably only about 20%. There's a big world out there that we are called to shine our lights on. That's what we're going to talk about today, is the influence that we have. Our lives are connected with people, and that's how God wants to use us, to influence them. I wanted to read you a poem today, and it's entitled, When You Thought I Wasn't Looking. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you hang my first painting on the refrigerator, and I immediately wanted to paint another. When you thought I wasn't looking... I saw you make my favorite cake for me, and I learned that the little things can be the special things in life. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you make a meal and take it to a friend who is sick, and I learned what it means to serve one another in love. When you thought I wasn't looking, I heard you pray over me and kiss me goodnight, 
and I felt loved and safe. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw how you handled your responsibilities, even when you didn't feel good. And I learned what it means to glorify God in all things. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw how you gave of your time and money to the church and people in need. And I learned that God loves a cheerful giver. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw tears come to your eyes. And I learned that sometimes things hurt, but it's all right to cry. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw that you cared and I wanted to be everything that I could be. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you praying and reading God's word. And I learned to depend on and trust in him too. And when you thought I wasn't looking, I looked at you and wanted to say, thanks for all the things I saw, even when you thought I wasn't looking. See, that's how we are. These, if you want a copy of this, I have some out at the information center after the service. But that's how we think a lot of times, is that nobody's looking. Nobody knows what we do, but people are watching. They're watching, and they're waiting. Is someone going to be true? Is someone going to really show the love of God? And they may look on the outside like they're the hardest person. You never know. You never know the influence that you can have in someone's life. The word influence means power or capacity of causing an effect in indirect or intangible ways. See, it's not like something where you get an award right when you do it. It's like moms, when your kids, they may not ever say thank you when they're little. They don't tell you, oh, thank you for making me a meal today. No, they usually are like, where's my lunch? Why didn't you make it yet? People may never say, thank you, you really had an influence. But I will tell you, God sees what you do. You are having an effect. You are influencing people. All right, we're going to look at a couple of scriptures today. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. If you have your Bible, turn there. If not, it's going to be up here on the screen. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. It says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This was Paul that wrote this. In other words, he said, let me be a pattern and a model for how you should live. And let me just keep reminding you, none of us are perfect. None of us. Because I know what you're thinking. Nobody should follow me because I've made a lot of mistakes. No, we all have made mistakes. And it gives people hope. In fact, that's what turns most people off to the church is when people think they're perfect and they talk like they're perfect and then their lifestyle shows other words. So we need to share our testimony of how God's redeemed us. So tell people, follow me as I follow Christ. Amen? That should be the goal of our lives. We influence people by our words, by what we say over them, by our attitudes, how we think about them, that when they walk in the room, we're like, yay! Not like, what are you doing here again? And by our actions, when we hug them, when we touch them, when we show them how valuable they are. Let's turn to the book of Esther in the Old Testament. This is where... Uh, we're going to look at mostly today, I'm going to tell you a story 
from the Old Testament. The book of Esther is going to be right before the book of Psalms. It goes Psalms, Job, and then Esther. And let me catch you up on this story because we don't have time to read the whole thing. Most of you have probably heard about Esther. There have been some movies made about her, but there was a man named Mordecai. He was a Jewish man, and he was one of the leaders under the king of Susa, which was where the Jewish people lived in this story. And Mordecai had a little cousin, and her name was Esther. Esther's mother died, and her father died, and she was an orphan. And Mordecai took it upon himself to reach out to her and love her, and he raised her as his own. Just like many of you. How many of you were raised by someone other than your biological parent? Raise your hand up. There's a lot of you. We have step-parents. We have uh, family members. We have foster parents. Parents can look like a lot of different things. If we get hung up on, well, it wasn't my biological father, it wasn't my biological mother, we're going to miss out. So Mordecai was not her mother or father, but he raised her up and had an influence um, upon Esther's life. So they lived in this kingdom, and the king's name was Xerxes. His wife's name was Vashti. And whenever he would call for the queen, say, come to me, queen, the queen had to come in. Well, one day he calls, and the queen said, no, I don't want to come. Guess what happened to her? She's out. He kicked her out, and he said, okay, I'm going to find a new queen. So they went out all over the land of Susa, and they began to look for all of the pretty young girls. And they gathered them up, and they brought them in. And for 12 months, they prepared these girls. Wouldn't that be awesome to go to the spa for 12 whole months? You better be coming out looking good if you went that long. So for 12 months, they beautified these young girls, made them beautiful. Then one by one, they would take them into the king, and he would look at them and see, is this the one? So all the girls go by, guess which one is chosen? Esther. She had the favor of God on her life. So Esther is chosen to be the queen. During this time, there's an assassination plot, and they plot to kill King Xerxes. Mordecai tells them of the plot, and the king is saved from that. So he wins favor. Esther wins favor at this time as well in the kingdom. Now, one note here is that Esther never told the king that she was Jewish. She never told him that fact because her cousin Mordecai told her, don't, don't tell him that. So that's a, a fact you need to keep in mind. So let's go over to Esther chapter 2. Meanwhile, don't you know there's always a villain in the story, the bad guy. The bad guy in this story is Haman. Haman was full of pride. And he got to where he worked his way up. You ever know somebody who kind of weasels their way in to a position? And he weaseled his way in there, and he became um, the top guy right under the king. And he thought he was so important, and when he walked around town, he told all the people, you bow down to me, and you worship me. So he'd walk around the town, and the people would have to fall down. Well, he'd walk by Mordecai, and Mordecai wouldn't do it. So you can imagine how that went over with Haman. It made him mad. So mad that he, he devised a plan, not just to kill Mordecai, 
But he knew Mordecai was a Jew, and he decided to kill all the Jewish people in the whole land. The whole land, he was going to kill them. And so he devises this plan, and he gets the king again. He kind of weaseled his way in there. He manipulated, and he got the king to put his stamp of approval on it, and they send these orders out all over the land. Let's pick up in chapter 2 of Esther and verse 20. Esther 2.20. It says, But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do. For she continued to follow, follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. So this decree goes out. All the Jews are going to be killed on this certain day. They had to give it time for that letter to get all over the kingdom. But yet, here we have a Jew in the palace, but she hadn't told anybody her nationality. Now you'd think as smart as Haman thought he was, that he would have at least done his homework and figured out she was related to Mordecai. But he didn't. Okay, He was so full of himself. So they send out this decree. Esther had not told anybody. And notice, did you see there in verse 20? It says... She had kept it secret just as Mordecai had told her to do, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. That's what influence does. It gets into the heart of people. God's influence will, will help us to shape people, to direct them. And you may not see right then the effects of your influence, but it stays with them and stays with them and stays with them. So even when they're not in your presence, they're still remembering the things you said. So in the story then, Esther keeps this secret. Um, and then let's skip over to chapter 4. Chapter 3. Let's go to chapter 3. And verse 13. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and little children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month. So every Jew was going to get killed. It didn't matter if they were a baby or if they were a man, a woman. So again, but remember, we have a Jew that's in the king's palace. Skip down to chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Verse 4. When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. Verse 6. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Notice Esther had no clue what was going on. She's in the palace. 
She doesn't know that all of her people are going to be killed. She's living the life of luxury. She's very far removed from the influence of Mordecai. But she knows something's going on because of all the weeping and the wailing. So Hathak comes back. Verse 7. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. So what did Mordecai want her to do? Go into the king's presence and plead for the Jewish people. Verse 9. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law. Here's the law. That he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go in to the king. See, Esther knew the laws. She knew, I can't just walk in. It's kind of like the White House today. If you have something you want to say to President Obama, you don't just go open the door of the Oval Office and say, hey, I want to sit down and talk to you. No, you did not do that. And you did not do that then with the king. Only if he invited you to come into his presence did you come. You didn't go in when you wanted to. And the only exception was if you came and he held out that gold scepter, then you wouldn't be killed. Let's pick up the story then. Verse 12. When Esther's words were reported back to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. See, Mordecai had faith. He had faith that God would save them. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position For such a time as this. Verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and my maids will fast as you do, I and my maids. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. See, Esther was still being influenced by Mordecai. She was still listening. She was still heeding his advice. His influence didn't stop when she got into the palace. He still had the ability to speak into her life. And some of you have people that speak into your life. We're going to talk now about how do you influence the people around you. Number one, the first way is you must love them unconditionally. 
And there is not a lot of that going around in our world. Most of the love that you hear about on the songs, it's all conditional. You do what I want, you love me the way that I want, then I'll love you back. No, God's called us to love unconditionally. Let's look and see what he says. Turn to John chapter 13 and verse 34. John 13 and verse 34. There are lots of commandments in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, he only gave us one. One commandment. John 13, 34. It says, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's how we influence people's lives. We love them the way God loves us. Well, how does God love us? What does God do when we make a mistake? Does he smack us? Does he turn his back on us? Never. He loves us. He always has his arms open wide waiting for us to come back. When we turn away from him, that's the kind of unconditional love we need to give people. Now turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a, the famous love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And let's look at what does the love of God look like, actually? Not just in word, but what does it look like? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 6. Here is our standard of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. That's the standard that God sets for us. To love. To believe in people. Love them unconditionally. Again, not for the evil, the wrong that you see in their lives, but look for the truth. The second way that you influence people is you have faith in them and believe in them. Keep reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Look at verse 7. It says, Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Any of y'all have some hard-to-love people in your life? No, I'm the only one? Some people that act like they don't want your love. Anytime they see you coming, it's like the wall they put up. And it seems like they're so hard. But we can still influence them. We love them, and then we have faith in them, and believe in them. Did you know that most people don't have anyone that believes in them? Most people don't have faith in themselves. Unless they had someone that put that in them. But most people will do anything to live up to your faith in them. Amen? There's a story I saw. I don't know if it's true or not, but it was a first-year teacher. How many teachers do we have out there? I was a former teacher, as if you can't tell. But um, 
It said that she was a first-year teacher, and you get your degree, and you're so excited, and you're going to change the world. All those kids, their lives are going to be changed. And she went into um, the classroom, and she looked at all their records. She was getting her class ready, and she was reading about each child, and she saw this number next to each name, and she was like, oh, my gosh, they've given me the smartest kids in the school. She saw 105. She saw 115. 118, 125. She's like, oh my goodness, they've given me the smartest kids. She thought it was their IQ scores. So she goes and gets her lessons ready, and that whole year, she asked so much of her students. She set the bar high, her expectations high. Guess where those kids performed? At that level. They weren't really their IQ scores. They were their locker numbers. But those kids had someone that had faith in them, someone that believed in them, and they rose to that level. That's what God does for us, and we can influence people. When we love them unconditionally, when we have faith in them, and we believe in them. Hebrews 11.1, 1, famous scripture, Pastor Stormy quotes this all the time. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Any of y'all hoping for someone's salvation? Maybe a child, maybe a parent, a sibling, a friend? We have to have faith. It says it's the hope of what we're believing for. So many times we pray, oh God, you know, save my, my son, save my mom. And then they do something wrong and we're like, what's going on? They're not saved. We have to have faith. We have to keep believing, keep hoping, keep speaking those things into their life. Call them a man of God. Call them a woman after God's own heart. Have faith in them and believe in them. The third way that we influence someone's life is we pray for them. And we're not afraid to speak into their life. We pray for them. You know, Pastor Stormy told a story, uh, I think it was the Sunday they came back from the men's advance. And he told a story that um, his mom had gone with his dad, and you probably think that's weird, but they, she went with him to Riadoso where the men's advance was. And one of the things that she, I know, was doing was she was praying for her sons. And she was praying for the other men that were there at the men's advance, that God would do a work in them. And he told the story that next Sunday of how he had a mama that prayed, prayed him into the kingdom, prayed his brother and his sisters into the kingdom. And she's praying my kids into the kingdom, her grandkids. And as he told that story, Pastor Stormy said, if you have never had a parent pray for you, Stand up or raise your hand. I think he said raise your hand. And hands went up all over this church. And he asked people to come around and pray for him. Well, I was in the back that Sunday. Second service, I'd sat through first service, so I was standing back there. And there's a young man in our church. He's young, but he's, a bit, he's way taller than me. He's 17. And I know some of the issues he's had. And he had brought his baby son to church with him that day. 
He doesn't have custody of him, but he had brought him, and he's trying to juggle him around, and then it was time for the baby to have a bottle. So he's getting the bottle, and he's like, is there warm water anywhere? So I'm trying to get him water and help him get the bottle fixed. Well, I knew what was coming in the service. So I said, Juan, let me hold your baby, because you need to be prayed for. And so he was right back there. And Anthony and some of our ushers, I said, you guys come over. And you pray for Juan, because he had raised his hand. He didn't have anybody to pray for him. And those ushers gathered around him, and they began to pray. But there was also a man. And I looked over, and he had raised his hand. He was in a big group of people back here. And he's there again today. And nobody saw his hand. So I have the baby, and I'm like, nobody went over to him. So I went and found a mama. And I said, here, hold his baby. (laughs) And she did. Good mamas do that. And I had to climb over people in the pew. I think it was Audie. I had to climb over you. And I went back. And it's Marcus, isn't it? Is it Marcus? Roderick. Roderick, I should remember that. That's my son's middle name. And I went over to Roderick. And I gathered some people. I said, y'all come over and pray. And we laid hands on him. We prayed for him. And I saw your wife. I saw tears coming down her face. God's working in your life, Roderick. That's what God needs, is people to pray, people to reach out. And we do that here in this church, but it doesn't stay here. Don't let the light stay here. There's a big world out there, and they need us to go out and shine God's love. Shine his light out there on the dark place. And believe in them. And also to speak into their lives. See, a lot of times we're going down the road and all of a sudden we start going off that road. And we get off on things. And we need people to come. Almost like a little spanking. They spank our little bottom and they say, no, you need to come back here. People that love us. Now, first of all, notice the steps. They've already loved us. They've prayed for us. They've believed in us and had faith in us. Then at that point, they can speak into your life. And you will listen to them. We all need those people. Let's see what Mordecai did. Let's go back and read that again. Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. He had to get a little bold with, with Esther. And this is what Mordecai said in verse 13. When she told him, I can't go into the king. He hasn't called for me. I could die. He sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. We never know what the people that we influence are going to do in this world. When we take our hands and we place them on the lives of those that are needy, the lives of those, the handprints of abuse may be on their life. The handprints of neglect. The handprints, somebody may have put handprints of unwanted on them. Handprints of stupid, the handprints of you're not valuable. When we take our hands and through our love, 
through our prayers, through our believing in them, praying for them, we take God's hands and we place on them valuable. We place the handprint of God that says precious, that says wanted, that says worthy, that says chosen. That's what God wants us to do. Amen to all the people in our circle of influence. So I have a question for you. Who has God put in your life to influence? We have a drama right now. 